Breaking the Seal. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Cunning stunt bonus. Sealed or unsealed? That is the question. And it's not just the Super Bowl that Janet Jackson crashes with an accidental slip. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Gentlemen, we're at show number 90. Let the countdown begin. Ten more shows till the big 100. Can you believe it? That's amazing. I know, I know. There's something special happening, isn't there? There is, there is. I mean, Chris, you've been here for at least... 10 of them and then dave you've been here for four i don't i can't even remember what episode you guys began on i thought you were gonna say at least 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) yeah no no seriously though i mean it's incredible to think that we started a podcast um all those years ago now it's gone so quickly uh, and there's always something new and fresh to talk about every week i i -hmm. I think i enjoy it more and more every week as we've relaxed into it together yeah we've got a flow yeah yeah, and there's a great audience submitting stories over on the subreddit. I'm really enjoying it. So we'll have to think of something special to do for the 100th show. If you've got any suggestions. Dancing girls. Um, I, oh, Dan, not you. I was talking to the audience, Chris. Oh, I know sorry. what you're going to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need to do like um, a question, bit of question and answer. I, I don't know. Any suggestions, audience? What would you like to see from us for a special 100th show? Uh, let us know. High score challenge, Q&A. I don't know. We can, we can throw all sorts in there. Um, this weekend, I've been over to Belfast for a family wedding. It was a real um, in and out job. Um, uh, okay, so I, I heard nice. this phrase uh, when the Olympics were on, which I thought hit all of the right syllables for a, for a Belfast accent. And I'm terrible at accents, so this isn't going to work. Okay. <laughs> we have the world's greatest curling facilities. That's fantastic. We have the world's greatest curling facilities. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. I don't know. It nice. just hit the world. Curling. Facilities. I think it just hits it all the right things. I do like the accent over there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a lovely accent. And also, I've got a large Scottish contingent in my family. So it's a nice mixture of nice sing songy accents. You know, nice. I, I, I love those accents. Does your accent change when you're drunk, Neil? Um, only if I'm speaking to people from the West Country. Yeah. Then it can, yeah, then Slider. I can slip into it a little bit. Slider. It's not like I make an effort to hide an accent. I, you know, I just kind of slip into it. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, Chris, how's your week been? Yeah, it's not been too bad. Oh, hang on. I'm just trying to think when we go to air. Sorry, I've just got to quickly change my calendar because I'm in August. Oh, you're changing your RMC calendar. I'm changing over. my RMC oh, actually, calendar over to September. Good point. By the time this, this airs, this it'll is, be September, won't it? This is totally not planned whatsoever. But just seeing you turn your calendar there, yeah, uh, there is going to be a new RMC calendar for this year. RMC charity charity calendar. Um, I mean, historically, we've raised three, four, and I think five thousand pounds for charity with those calendars. So That's it's awesome. a really, really great thing. So pleased to be doing it again this year with the help of One Click Print, who very kindly um, do all the hard work of producing the calendar for free. And then I put the calendar together with photos submitted from viewers. So I'll put out the call for photos soon. I think I think the topic this year, it might change, but I think it's just going to be joysticks. I just want some Ooh. sexy pictures of joysticks or joypads. Oh, um, 
you know, I think that's something a lot of people can participate in because if you make the topic too complex, it just, it yes. excludes a lot of people. So I think just joysticks, yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've got a nice Australian so, um, joystick. I'll take a photo. Hang on, that sounds wrong. Anyway, let's, uh, move, let's move on. <laughs> um, I have got an idea for that, so I might put a submission in. That'll be my first. Yeah. Um, Dave's just rattling about. Sorry, make, what have oh, you got he's there, got Dave? A big, got Dave, Dave, apart big from annoying Duncan, I have a, I've got this force feedback wingman that goes, that's floppy, but as soon as you give it power, it goes it goes solid in your hand. It's I really remember weird. them. The Logitech yeah. wingman. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. So many joysticks. Yeah. So many big joysticks. X-Wing um, Alliance, I think, gives you... Oh, does it? Yeah. Cool. Uh, or you can play it with a mouse. <laughs> Apparently, you can play it with a mouse. <laughs> anyway, um, glancing across at September, my wife's birthday's in September. I can't remember exactly which date. Um, but what I do remember <laughs> is um, the 19th is Talk Like a Pirate Day. Um, do you guys celebrate that at all? I don't celebrate it, but I, I can talk like a pirate for almost a whole sentence before I end up in Northern Ireland. Oh, usually I end <laughs> up in Shimmer me timbers. But interestingly, that's the date that um, they've chosen to drop uh, Return to Monkey Island, which is quite a cool idea. Oh, okay. So, what a coincidence. Yeah. I know. I might have to actually play a point-and-click adventure, lads. I don't know. While drinking rum, I think so, that would be a perfect way to celebrate that. Um, so that's September the 19th. I've noticed that's yeah. coming out on the Switch. Mm. And obviously, it'll be a digital download on Steam or wherever for the PC. Mm. I'm just holding out there because people are pre-ordering this for the Switch. But I'm just holding on to see, will there be a physical big box release for the pc with nice stuff point. in it well, yeah. interesting you raised that point actually neil because i was taking a look on some of the facebook groups this week and i just i i noticed an interesting um contrast between a couple of groups so the amiga facebook group is just ongoing criticism that i'm not going to go into but i just find that's that amiga people for you that's amiga people for you <laughs> shut up um, nice but but it was a really nice change to see in the PC uh, collectors group. There was nothing but excitement for the game, and not only nice for the people. game dropping, but for the prospect of a physical release. So, yeah, hopefully there will be, because it'll be a really cool thing to I pick up. I wonder why that is, because perhaps it's with the Amiga crowd, we only got Monkey Island 1 and 2. Hmm. But with the PC crowd, the series continued to evolve, and the art style evolved through the 90s. And just LucasArts games in general evolved with the times through the 90s into that 3D era. So, an Amiga I, fan I don't stuck know. in the past. Well, I, I wouldn't like to say, Dave. I don't. You've got two here. You've Dave. got two here in me and Chris. Uh, yeah, no matter how I much you try I'm to joking. rip us. Totally yeah. joking. I'm just going for a reaction. Well, they're definitely but, not um, because they're, they're, cut, they're obsessed with getting their Amigas running like modern PCs, yeah. throwing faster yeah. and faster yeah. accelerators in them. So, they're certainly mm. not stuck in Yeah, the so time. they can run Doom. So they can run yeah. Doom finally. <laughs> I do find but that something funny. else. I would I would point out is in the world of big box games, LucasArts had fantastic art and fantastic games, but actually the quality of their big boxes was sometimes quite low. It was sometimes mm. quite flimsy yes. cardboard sleeves. Yes. Yeah. Things like Grim Fandango, you you always see a crushed box on eBay yeah. with that one. Yeah. So yeah. they weren't actually that high quality boxes. No, and there wasn't the. I've mentioned this before, but. For me, the, the the big box game starts when you lift the box off the shelf. When you start to look and you open it up, you see the manual, you see the stuff inside, the feelies, the browsies, and so on. But with LucasArts games, one of the selling points there was when the game started, that's when 
that's when you got the intro, when you got the cutscene at the start and so on. And it really did set the scene and it helped the games work. But it doesn't help the big box experience because no one really thinks much about they talk about the 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 pirate uh mat, the, the pirate matching thing that the, the pirate that, that's yeah. the word um, <laughs> but the big box experience for lucas art isn't the same as as what it is with infocom games or even the lucas arts um mm. star wars games the weight of a lucas arts big box game was often helped by the a large number of floppy disks but when you moved into the cd-rom era you literally got a cd in a jewel case and a, a sort of a leaflet well, even and that was it even, even the game the dig the dig is a fantastic fantastic game steven spielberg involved in it we've mentioned it before but the dig inside the box there is uh an a5 size technical supplement how to run the game and a jewel box and the manual for the game is inside the jewel box and that's mm. a real cheap that's a real cheap move from them there it's not it doesn't help you enjoy the game through the box there's not mm. much point to the box if that makes sense well i'm going to remain optimistic for a a big box monkey island release with um some good feelies i mean mm. if they're going to do it they're going to charge a premium for it because they know there will be collectors out there wanting it so hopefully we yeah. get like a, a map or you know some nice um novel or novella or something in there who knows but um we just have to wait and see yeah nice sorry chris we've totally crashed your no your chat about your week that's with, all uh, on topic that's chat. all on topic um dave how have you been i've been ill and i'm still ill oh, no. um i'm a bit discombobulated so if i'm um, incoherent if i'm more incoherent than usual <laughs> my, my apologies um I, i've got some kind of chest infection throat infection type fluey thing i don't know it's not it's not mm. the dreaded word but it's uh something mm. similar okay big bottle of lucas aid and uh some video games prescribed to you for the week yeah yes yeah and have you picked up a sponsor there, can I see? You're wearing a Retro Rewind t-shirt. How much are they paying you for that, Dave? Absolutely nothing. The reason why I'm wearing it is that Frank is a really nice guy. And when I donated money to the Amigos charity stream, he matched it. And then afterwards, he asked for my details and sent me a t-shirt. So I no, thought, nice. oh, one good turn deserves another. So maybe I'll wear his t-shirt and tell people that Retro Rewind in Canada are nice people and deserve your business. That's cool. There you go. Great. Should we get into this week's stories then? Let's do it. One more thing before we get there. Oh, There's a story on. that we didn't pick this week. As everyone mm. knows, you submit a story to the subreddit and people click the little upvote button to, de to determine which stories we choose to pick and, and talk about. And the top story this week we didn't pick and we're not discussing much. And it's the naked retro gaming in Cambridge. <laughs> so at the, the centre for... Computing history in Cambridge, they're having an evening of na naked retro gaming. I thought I should mention it at least because we're not talking about it, um, where naturists can go and uh, enjoy it without clothes. Um, I'm just going to... Not the my right kind of thing, on. but no judgment. We, I, I worry that if we covered that story, there would be too many jokes about joystick waggling and uh, <laughs> and too many yeah. cliches. Yeah. We wouldn't get through it. But yes. um, yeah, if that's your thing, I think it's £19.99 for a ticket. Look up uh, the Naturist Retro Gaming event at Cambridge Computer, Cambridge Centre for Computing History. That's it. Okay, into this week's stories then. 
Hold on to your helmets, everyone, because Carmageddon is being reverse engineered as Project Death Race, an attempt to convert 1997's gory racer from assembly code into C so that it might be easily ported to modern systems. And who knows, maybe Carmageddon can become the new Doom and we'll all be saying, will it run Carmageddon? I'll give those Amiga fans something to talk about. Can we get Carmageddon running? <laughs> the, the, the project is at a very specific 69% complete, according to the official Twitter account, which is at deathrace underscore labs. And that's spelled D-E-T-H race. So the, the A is missing in death race. And um, a very playable looking version of it has shown up on their social media uh, feed. I think I think it's running on an Apple Mac on the version that they show. So in my eyes, first glance at this, it looks to be using software rendering for all of the graphics, as the original did, but of course it's all being shared on GitHub, so I'm sure we'll see hardware-accelerated 3D assistance added before long, just as the original had the 3DFX patch added to it not long after it came out. Now, I'm going to be watching this one very closely personally because yeah, well, it was an important game in my in my history of gaming and my life of gaming. I completed it multiple times. I was in total awe of the game, especially when that 3DFX patch came out. Uh, it was perhaps the first time I enjoyed completely open world racing combined with physics and a, a kind of a weight to the cars that just felt right. I mean, I know we were verging on cartoon with the designs of many of these cars, but each of them had their own characteristics and weight and feeling to them that felt right. Um, not to mention the destructible nature of the cars and everything about it felt like a next gen game. It really did feel like my PC gaming was catching up, if not overtaking the current generation of consoles. Um, so I guess it would have been the PlayStation at the time. PlayStation came out, made me think, why have I spent so much on a graphics card when this, you know, £299 console can do this all in one? And then the PC catches up and starts to overtake. Um yeah, and, and that's why I like to jump on any hint of a modern recreation of the game. It, it wasn't so many years ago that this did actually appear in the Android store. It might have been iOS as well, but I had an Android phone at the time. Carmageddon was playable on your phone, so it has been ported, but perhaps it was just an emulation layer in that instance. I'm not sure. What I do remember about it was that my phone would run red hot when I was playing it and, and it would just destroy the battery life. So I couldn't play it for very long unless I was plugged in. Um, but yeah, I mean, chaps, before we talk more about this, what are your memories of the franchise? Were you fans of it? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna draw back i'm gonna peel back the curtain for the for the listeners in in the show notes somebody's cheekily put <laughs> under my name i've never played it because <laughs> because that's that's the also supplied that, that, a line for me afterwards <laughs> yes yes however i did indeed play the heck out of carmageddon absolutely love the franchise played <laughs> tdr as well um played the n64 version which i was bitterly disappointed by but the that's pc version it was one of the games that put me on an upgrade path i had a what i thought was a fantastic p100 at the time got carmageddon suddenly my pc was totally inadequate so then i ended up buying a 200 uh, a p200 mmx chip realized i needed an entirely new motherboard um so replaced all the guts out of my pc it became a p200 mmx still didn't really play it very well and as you've already alluded to there neil it wasn't really until they added um uh, 3dfx support that you could really get the most out of the game because it really did you know use every last resource that your pc had but it was just so cool it felt i mean looking back at the maps now 
they weren't that big, but at the time they just seemed immense and it was just so free roaming and so many ways to complete each race um, in terms of, you know, killing all your opponents, but which let's face it, that's the only one we ever did. Or you could, you know, uh, complete all the laps and win the race in the traditional way. Um, but yeah, hmm. just fantastic, it, fantastic franchise. Even though the maps weren't that big, hmm. um, you know, in their scale, they also had uh, multi dimensions in that they had yes. height as well. You know, you could yeah. jump into parking lots or on roofs, and you know there were lots of different ways to explore the map and lots of Definitely. hidden bonuses to be found in all of these areas too. Yeah, totally. And sometimes um, there'd be several races that were actually in the same arena, for want of a better word, because the ramps would go in a different direction, so you'd end up on the roofs and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and just I, I, I completed the first one. I think my funniest story about Carmageddon is we bought a. I bought a steering wheel and pedal set for my PC at the time. And it was steering actually my wheel. wife. Yes, a steering wheel. And it was actually my wife that broke it playing Carmageddon because she loved the heck out of it as well. Absolutely loved it. And um, one of the reasons why, talking about modern, I don't know if you guys have played Carmageddon Max Damage. Ah, no. I haven't played it. I've seen it. Yeah, so this is, is the it, PS4 did, did you, version. It didn't look too good to me. It looked as if no soul to me. It didn't look as if it had the same, no. same bite. Oh, no, it has all the soul. I, I absolutely love the heck out of this. I, I actually think this is really good. I think it's the very first race harks back to the first track on the original Carmageddon. But what they seem to have done is taken the, the, the best bits of the original Carmageddon and then some of the bits of the games that followed, like the weapons that you pick up, that you know, like the spring that shoots out and kills the pedestrians, that kind of thing. Some of that I didn't particularly like, but they seem to work well in this rendition. And it has the punch. Some of the later versions didn't really have the, the impact when you drive into other cars. They seem to be missing that sort of drama that the original had it's back in this so yeah carmageddon max damage was what i was holding up for the listeners uh that's the ps4 version but i think it's available on pc as well Hmm. yeah how about you dave any good carmageddon memories it's it's ridiculous fun the game is ridiculously fun um the fear factor music hammering out that's the (laughs) industrial heavy metal music hammering out the screams the sounds the iconic image of neil behind the wheel with his big evil (laughs) grin in his face um multiple ways to complete the levels you can kill all pedestrians as an alternative to the ones mentioned And there's also the controversy that I'm sure that they were secretly delighted about. It was initially banned, and they Mm. had to replace the pedestrians with zombies. Um, The massively over-the-top violence, though, was fantastic. It was, I don't know if there was some kind of backlash against Puritan values in the mid to late 90s, um, but yeah, uh, I I absolutely love Carmageddon. It was so so well done, and it was fun. Yeah. Mm. There was a, a desperate, well, not desperate, but there was a, a very obvious attempt by many game makers, Sony leading the charge to yes. to show that gaming was more grown up and, and tackle more, I don't want to say adult themes, because I don't know that trying to, you know, jump off a multi-story car park onto a Zimmer frame using grandma is an adult theme. It's as childish as it comes. But um, yeah, Dave, sorry, you wanted to jump in I was going to say that you used the word grown up and it's, it's weird that it meant grown up as in what a 12-year-old thought grown up was <laughs> rather than what a, a grown up thought grown up was. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah, yeah. Electricity uh, shooting out the car, all the pedestrians around you, springs like Chris mentioned earlier. What were some of the other stupid power-ups? There were some mad ones, weren't there? There were some um, that were You could have jelly suspension, That's didn't it, you? Yeah. Which three all over over the place turbos yeah there were so many so many cool add-ons with that and not only the add-ons just 
ways of discovering through the kind of sandbox nature of the game things you could do power slides you know fishtailing in and just catching a pedestrian as you go around a corner and all the rest of us i don't know if that's a reflection on me or the game i don't know but um yeah carmageddon one played to death completed multiple times absolutely loved it you you mentioned that the 3d effects patch is essential chris actually if you go back and play it with a powerful enough processor now it is very playable in software mode it's just that the 3d effects patch you know smooths everything out just makes everything look beautiful um and then we had carmageddon 2 which was 1998 a year later that came out more of the same more polygons more more cars more tracks and all the rest of it it was a nice improvement on the original but as i've mentioned in previous shows as so often happens with me i, I kind of lose interest in, in franchises as they go on and on um yeah chris iron maiden soundtrack i believe wasn't it in carpocalypse was there was there nice i think i'm right in saying that yeah. um and then uh, I, yeah i think I've, i really got my fix by the end of carmageddon 2 i was moving on to things like midtown madness no violence at all whatsoever but it took the graphics up a notch again a slightly bigger city that was a fun game um and the formula one games there seemed to be this great void in the 90s from when jeff Cramon's formula one kind of came to an end and then we got a new formula one game that was worth playing so so as soon as that came out who was it um i think it was psychosis who published it it was was it creation um hmm. there's a there's a software house with a pumpkin as a logo do you remember those guys and i think they went on to go and do project um gotham no <laughs> okay i might be talking absolute nonsense anyway they did kind of the first f1 game uh that that had like you had to have a 3d fx card to play it you couldn't play it without there was no software rendering and that was on the playstation as well and it had your fame your man um walker the the commentator on there shouting as you murray as you drove murray that's the man hmm. um so you know i started getting into those games i really liked them uh, bizarre creations bizarre oh, that was yeah. the name of yeah. the publishing house um so yeah, um, so I started getting into that, and then you had the Carmageddon TDR, which I didn't go anywhere near. Chris, you said you played that. Was that was that any good? I did play that. Uh, mm, mm, yeah, didn't enjoy it as much as the original, basically. But TDR yeah. Total Death Rally, I think it was. But Carmageddon was originally meant to be called Death Race after the yes. um, the film, the nineteen seventies film. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why this project has taken on the name Death Race. I think the name was still used in some of the file names or something like that in the in the version that was released. And then 2016, Max Damage, which you talked about. Now, um, on Steam, it has mostly positive reviews. Uh, there are some people citing that it's good fun, but it's a little bit short compared to the original. Mm. Um, Short's good. I like short games, yeah. though. Mm. Yeah, so maybe I should give that a go. Um, I mean, 2016... I play enough retro games not to play a 2016 game and go, oh, that looks dated. It will look thoroughly modern to me. So I'll give it a go. Um, but yeah, maybe I just don't like to spoil the memories I have of that first game, which I felt was so perfect. I don't know. But I am super excited for this project that they're working on because once they open it up, well, they, they've already opened it up. It's, it's on GitHub. But as they complete it, people will look into that and they, as I say, they'll add 3D acceleration. They might add VR support. They might add ray tracing. They could do anything, a track editor, a car editor. It will be completely open for any platform for anyone to do whatever they want with um, if they have the skill. We could see things like the fog. Do you remember the fog 
mm-hmm. constantly there. Yes. You, you can, no, no matter how high you drew, the, you set the draw distance, that fog was there. So we can lift that. We can see the city in all its glory. Um, yeah, I, I, I just have a really good feeling about this one. I think there's enough talented people out there and enough love for this game. And when those things come together, something really special can happen. So good luck to the team who are working on it. I know they're at 69%. You always say that last 10% is the hardest. So, um, you know, we'll see uh, no pressure on them to get over the line. Just hopefully they'll they'll get it done uh, right. And and what we see so far looks absolutely fantastic. So they're well on, on the right track for this. Check out the project using the links in the show note, which Duncan, I hope, will kindly put there for you to click on. And we will bring you further updates. Okay, there's a side topic that comes up from time to time, and we've always skirted around the edges of it. And, well, it's time to really open it up and unwrap it. Or maybe not. We'll see. Um, The side topic I'm thinking of is the question, should sealed or even new old stock collectibles ever be opened? I personally have a strong view on this, and I'm sure you guys have as well. Um, But the story in question is a bit of a curveball that may, in fact, change our minds. Before we get into the story, have you guys purchased any sealed items? And if yes, do you keep them sealed or do you open them? And what's the logic behind your actions? Oh, it's a very open-ended question. I think it's very dependent on what the object is. Mm -hmm. Um, So some examples I can give you is an Enterprise 64 computer. There's this guy on Egypt who just seems to have a warehouse full of Enterprise 64s and he constantly drips them onto eBay. Mm. So I got a new old stock Enterprise 64. Did open that. Um, So my reasoning behind that was, A, this guy seems to have a lot. There's a lot out there, so it's not a particularly rare example. But when it comes to systems, uh, they're full of polystyrene filler. They've got cables with plastics that react over time. And oh, you know, true. if the power cable is laying across the system, the plastic from the cable will start eating, melting into the plastic of the system. Mm-hmm. So there's damage. You know there's going to be damage going on. So it's good to get that out in the air and stretch the cable out and get it away from everything. So in that instance, I did open it. Another example, which I think I have in the storeroom, is um, a sealed copy of Jet Set Willy. It's a cassette tape. Uh, Dave, you wanted to jump in there. Go on. Yeah, I, I've opened up one of those um, for an RMC um, live stream submission. I had a Jet Set um, Willy seal and opened up for that. Oh, Jet Set Willy. Now, hmm. I haven't opened this one, and the reason I haven't is because, uh, as I was told by many people when I started shrink-wrapping all of the cassette games to put in the fake recreated shop, cassette games weren't really shrink-wrapped back in the day. There were one or two examples mm. But generally, the the tape was kept behind the counter. You could pick up the case. You'd go to the shopkeeper. They'd put the tape in. Now, the reason I shrink-wrapped them was so that people could pick them up without getting finger gravy all over them, and this could be a hands-on museum. That was the thinking behind it. But in the case of Jet Set Willy, Software Projects did do one that was shrink-wrapped, and the seal goes all the way around the tape with the word Software Projects. So, you know, you know this is legit. This is Mm. how it was. This Mm. is brand new. Nobody's ever opened this. It's not a rare game. I don't know. I just can't bring myself to peel that seal. I, I just like that. And I do. Mm. I have another copy of Jet Set Willy, which is opened. So I've got an open one. Do I need to open that one? No. That's no. fair enough. No. That's fair enough. So I think that's a nice example. And then joysticks. I seem to have loads and loads of box joysticks, many of which are sealed. Um, again, there is the the question of are the cables causing damage? I don't know. 
Um, some I've opened, some I haven't. I'm not too precious about joysticks. I tend to open them when I need one to use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting that you should mention joysticks because I think the I've only bought a couple of new old stock things, and and it wasn't I didn't buy them because they were new old stock. They just happened to be there at a good price. And the main one was this Quick Shot Super Warrior um, that I'm holding up here for for the viewers. Um, and uh, this is clearly now not still um shrink wrapped or anything the the plastic that was uh, surrounding it clearly was the original because it it actually became quite brittle quite quite hard um compared to like a a re-shrink wrap job and so i did open this because i bought it to use it and funnily enough there wasn't any cable damage but it didn't fully work even though it had been sitting there unused the um the throttle wheel on the side of the joystick wasn't actually working until i took the joystick apart and um basically hit it with some with some compressed air um to yeah, yeah. clear clear out the, the things i do have one of those uh that turned up heavily used hmm. it's got like a, a rubberized grip and that was just full of dirt so i had to get at that with a toothbrush it's got the throttle yeah. gotta say chris it's a bloody awful joystick. Yeah, but it was the first. Well, it wasn't the. It was the second joystick I got for my PC, so I had to rebuy one. Um, and it was the first in inverted commas decent joystick. And I, do you know what? I kept, I've got photos of my setup from about um, I don't know about twenty years. No, not twenty years. What am I talking about? About ten years after I bought that joystick, and it still features when I was having uh, a Pentium, my P two. Uh, pentium 200 mmx it was still in use for that and the machine that came after it as well it features in all the photos so it was still working still going but yeah not the best right joystick. up until the point right, right yeah. up until the point that windows pulled support for the uh game cards and 15 pin joysticks yeah that's and pretty much our joysticks it. became useless yeah <laughs> Uh, the, the only other thing I've got, and uh, it's been put away for Christmas because I'm not allowed to touch it until then because it'll be a Christmas present, but I've got an unopened version of Checkered Flag for the Atari Jaguar. Will I open it? Well, absolutely I will. So the box isn't sealed, but inside the box, the bag is, still has the original seal across the bag. Um, I'm definitely going to open it. I bought it to play it. Um, and the only other thing I can think of, there's, there's a couple of other boring things, but Things like, you know, new old stock. These are double density discs I'm holding up. Um, mm -hmm. Completely sealed, completely factory sealed. Would I open those? Double density discs are quite hard to get hold of. Absolutely, I have. The only reason I haven't haven't opened that one is because I've, I've started on this box. <laughs> so once I get through this box, <laughs> then I'll open the next. You know, I've bought this stuff to use it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's my take on it. Uh, and the other interesting thing about sealed stuff is, who sealed these things? Because most of the shops that I was aware of, like you've alluded to, Neil, it wasn't sealed. It wasn't shrink-wrapped. Um, I actually worked in game for a bit, and the stuff would come in shrink-wrapped. The first thing we do when we took new stock is open all the shrink-wrap, put that in the bin, take the guts out, put that behind lock and key, uh, behind the counter, and then re-shrink-wrap. We had a shrink-wrap machine in the back, We'd re-shrink wrap the box so that, again, you'd keep the fingerprints off, and that is what you would see on the shelf. So when somebody bought the game, guess what? The shrink wrap came off again so that we could stuff the guts back inside and give it to the paying customer. So I don't know where these factory sealed games are even coming from. It's quite an interesting thing to think about. Dave, what's your take on it? I'm, 
yet to be convinced that all of the factory sealed games on eBay are factory sealed. Mm. Um, they could have been resealed by shops. I don't know. Maybe some games didn't even arrive in sealed. So I, I'm, I'm dubious about that. Um, my opinion is 100% games are meant to be opened. Wait until you're ready to play it, of course, but then open it up. If you don't open it up, if you don't open the sealed game, it may as well have... I may as well have some cardboard inside and that's all. Mm. Um, so I, I don't pay extra for sealed games, but I do have quite a few. So I grabbed a couple here. Here's um, This is Total Eclipse, which is the, the Amstrad disc version with Total Eclipse 1 and 2 as a bonus on it. Uh, sealed It's a Freescape game, which is the, the 3D engine for the that came out for the Amstrad CPC and then ported everywhere else. One frame a second, two frames a second, but it was great <laughs> back in the day because you didn't get 3D. Uh, and I've also got, uh, here's um, Betrayal in, in Antara, which is a Sierra game, a sequel to Be Be Betrayal in, in Crondor, sort of. Um, again, I've not I've not got around to playing it yet, so it's still sealed. But when it's when it's time to open it up, I will do. Um, I, I don't. I'm I'm not a fan of um, not a fan of sealed games and keeping them sealed. Um, I did notice something when I bought Thimbleweed Park, which I'm now holding up here. I need to make sure I don't show the code. Thimbleweed Park on the side as a sticker outside of a sealed box mm. has the code you would put into GOG.com. So it's designed so that it stays sealed. You buy the game, you type the code in, and you never need to break the seal to play the game, which well, to me, I, I, I don't like that at all. It's You then have this quandary of why, why would I open up the sealed game and you, you devalue it because you can sell it for more on eBay. I don't like that at all. Okay. But the code inside, make people open it up. And mm. the last one I want to talk about is um, Sigil, which Sigil is a, uh, which we're holding up here, is a game um, from John Romero. Now, it, my copy is actually signed by John Romero there. Um, Sigil is a game by John Romero. John Romero, if, if it, people haven't heard of him, he's the husband of uh, legendary RPG uh, designer Brenda Romero. Uh, that's all he's John known Rome for. That's all he's yeah, known for. Yeah, that's right. Uh, John has done a, a fifth episode of Doom, uh, which is with Sigil there. I, I got the, the box version of it there. Nice. But it, because it came signed, it said he will cut a small slit around, along the top and, and carefully set, set it back in. And my instructions were, rip the, the plastic off and throw it away. I don't want my games sealed. I think sealing them is... It, it, I understand why you do it, Neil, and I'm totally fine with that. I think it's a great idea. You can see in the, in the shelves behind you there uh, that they're all sealed. But I, I, I think a sealed game, I won't pay any extra for it. And I, I, I think it gives you this 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 block about using it and unsealing it. Let them Open them up, have a look inside the box. Yeah. If anyone were to say to me when they're at the cave... This game means so much to me. I used to play this as a kid. Can I try it on the Amstrad CPC over there? I'd say, yeah. And I have in the past said, nice. yeah, rip the rip the plastic off. I can re you know shrink wrap it, and just that experience of feeling like something is brand new from thirty years ago and ripping off the completely inauthentic seal, but just doing it. Just yeah. people absolutely love it. So I'm always happy to do that. I can to, to be that. clear, the reason why you have them sealed is so that people can pick them up off the shelf, look mm. at the back, see them, feel the weight in their hand, touch it, and then yep. put it back in the shelf without the boxes wearing out and getting yeah. Uh, yeah. stained and greasy and all the rest of it. That just makes exactly. sense in, in the context of the, the exhibition. Yeah, that's a really cool cool way of doing it. Ever since Dave visited with his big stainy, greasy hands, I was oh, like, oh, I'm going to have to seal these up. It's Ruining it's it for everyone. For <laughs> <laughs> he gave me that great big that great big um port pie and, 
Oh, yeah. pork pie. oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, when Dave came to visit, he was given the biggest pork pie you've ever seen. There were pork and pies. And then he started touching all my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> pork pies have been banned now. Nice. Damn it. That's why there was none when I came, obviously. Anyway, yeah. we better get into the actual story because we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Um, There's a story? Yeah, yeah, there is a story, and it was it was uh, dropped by Starcade 2084, uh, and it's a link to a piece on uh, Katoka... To- Damn it, I always say that wrong. Katoku.com by Luke Plunkett. Are you having a stroke? Yes, I'm having really? a stroke okay. or a migraine. Um, it tells the story of a collector who purchased some rare Nintendo items. And when I say rare, um, well, let's just say the collector's blog is called beforemario.com. And he's written a book of the same name, in fact. Uh, because much of Eric... Vosgul's collection is exactly that. It's rare, it's very old, uh, and they're Nintendo artifacts that predate the Italian plumber himself. So, really? Yes. So, That's, I mean, he he was he was right early in Nintendo stuff. Well, let's let's go here then. So, what did he buy? He bought playing cards, not Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic: The Gathering or any of those Magic Pretend collectibles. Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh. Was that a boo-boo? Yes, Yu-Gi-Oh. What did I say? Yogi-Oh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, none of those uh, pretend modern collectibles. Um, I'm talking playing cards here. So hearts, spades, diamonds, clubs, you get the picture, except these are Nintendo branded. So that's why they come before Mario, Dave, just for you. All right. Um, so these are playing cards, Nintendo branded playing cards from the 1950s. And not only that, but Eric has been looking long and hard for a set like this because they are printed in English. Nintendo, of course, being a Japanese company. And this is, you know, long before they sort of exploded onto the global market as we know them now. And this particular set is a Kyoto souvenir playing card set, which features pictures of Kyoto uh, on the cards. Of course, Kyoto being Nintendo's home. And yes, these were sealed old stock, as he puts it. So he doesn't call them new old old stock, just sealed old stock. You need to look at the blog. And I really don't want to take traffic away from the blog as it's an amazing journey of a 20-year search ending in a dream purchase. And no, he doesn't say how much he paid for these treasures. Uh, But we'll make sure we put the the link to the blog in the show notes, uh, as well as the story linked by um, uh, Starcade. Um, just so you can have a look at it yourself. And please do take a look and take a read. So they're playing cards. They're Nintendo branded. They're sealed. They are very rare. And he's hunted them down for 20 years. And he's purchased two packs. And the problem is you need to see these wonderful pictures of Kyoto, right? And you need to see them on the original playing cards. Obviously, he can look up pictures of what they look like online. But he wants to look at what they actually look like on the cards. Neil? Yeah, so I think the reason for the pictures on the cards is that it was uh, an attempt at stimulating tourism Mm. post-war in the 1950s. So the images are lovely pictures of people, places, uh, photographs on one side, and then just lovely hand-drawn art on the other side. They are really a lovely set of cards, and you you can see the reason why this collector has been hunting them down. It's a lovely example of Nintendo playing cards, which... You know, before Mario, they were very famous for their playing cards going way back to the start. Yeah, Mm. they look gorgeous. So he's got two packs. 
He decides to open one of them to crack open the cellophane sealed with a Japanese stamp since the 1950s. And again, go to the blog because it explains exactly why they were sealed with a stamp in that way. And he opens them only to find that the cards over all of that time have fused together into one solid block. Completely heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the sad irony is that you know, not that this hobby should ever be about money, but if they'd remained sealed, he wouldn't have known, nobody would have known, and the value wouldn't change at all. Regardless of the fact that they're not functional, they'd have still remained new old stock collectibles and the value would have continued to climb. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It is a Schrodinger, absolutely. So does this well, he's story... Got, he's, got, Go he's got two decks, so effectively he's got the world's shortest game of Snap there, hasn't he? <laughs> and if they put the same card on the top of both, well, that's a very quick game as well, absolutely. Oh, dear. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, with that in mind, you know, we've just had a discussion as to whether or not you should open New Old Stock stuff. Does this story change your opinion at all? Um, it makes me a little bit less likely to buy new old stock stuff because you can't hmm. tell what's inside it. If I'm buying a if I'm buying a a used game on eBay, then there's pictures of what's inside it so you can tell. But if it's a new old stock game, it might have been sitting in someone's damp garage for years, and it might be when you open it up, it's all mouldy inside. I think there's this there's a misconception, and and this is a great way of blowing away that misconception. There's a misconception that if it's a new, if it's new old stock, then it's perfectly preserved inside it. Clearly not true. Um, discs and tapes when you're buying old um, blank media discs and tapes or media to reuse new old stock is, is the way to go if you can uh, because any used ones I've bought at terrible terrible success rates with those I bought I've bought hundreds and hundreds maybe even thousands of old three and a half and three inch discs mm. and loads of them have been improperly stored what happens is you don't use the old computer anymore so you put them in a box and you put them up aloft and out in the garage and then you get you get hot and cold cycles damp condensation forming yeah. and they get wrecked but if they're if it's new old stock it's less likely to be that way they're less likely to go into the garage less likely to be damaged but you can't open it up um and, and i can think of one example um neil uh, well, I, I don't know if he reminded me, needed me to remind him of it, but Neil opened up a new old stock CD-ROM compilation, not a CD-ROM game because it was just used as a storage medium um, for this Commodore 64. And if I think I'm, if I think right, there was rust around the staples, and there was a little few points of of uh, mold growing on the manual. Is that right, Neil? Yeah, I remember that. We opened that up to do an episode on that particular compilation. And yeah, there was rust on the, the staples. Now, that's not necessarily an indication that it wasn't new old stock, that it had been opened before, but it was an indication that moisture had got in there. And mm. it, as Dave says, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be pristine in there. Um, so yeah, and that's also why I like, and I know Dave also likes to put silicon pouches into boxes if we do reseal them, or even if we don't reseal them. If you've got like a, a big pack of a thousand silicon pouches, just shove one in the box for, for peace of mind to help with that. Um, and idea. of course, we as collectors are trying to keep these things. There you go, Dave's holding up a big box of uh, silica gel. That's a really silica, good Sorry, I called it silicon gel, didn't I? Silica gel. Um, yeah, and us as collectors, we are aware of these problems and dangers, and we're 
as Dave is sat in front of his shelves there, keeping things in what I'm guessing is a, a fairly dark room, or you at least keep the blind closed in there and the temperature's fairly consistent. It's not like we're keeping these things in our loft anymore. So hopefully we're, we're doing our bit to preserve these things. Um, just going back to the block of cards, which is a really sad story because I'd love to see all of those cards. But it does get me thinking to things like um, scanning of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, you know, scientists finding old uh, documents on parchment paper and very carefully using whatever chemicals and processes they have to unfurl them and be able to read them. Um, I'd love to see, you know, we're, we're talking about million pound labs and scientists here, so they're, they're hardly going to put their efforts into a pack of Nintendo cards, but maybe there's some kind of crossover where somebody might like a bit of PR and they can do this as a bit of a publicity stunt and we might be able to separate the cards, but... Eric is pretty adamant in his blog that that's it, that they're, they're, there's no saving them whatsoever. So I know he's had suggestions like freezing them, like steaming them and things like that, um, but he's not he's not willing to give it a go. But hopefully if a lab maybe came forward, maybe someone out there listening works at such a facility. If someone could come forward, at least he's got two sets and, and all is not completely lost. If he maybe has a little go with one of the sets, even if it goes wrong, I don't know. I don't know, but good luck to him. Yeah, exactly. Good luck to him. Uh, there's, there's buying new old stock to hold and resell as new old stock, but I think there's value in buying new old stock so that you get that experience of opening and using a brand new item, even though it's 30 years old or more. Um, for, for me, the, the, the ones that always tempt me is every now and again, a new old stock Spectrum Plus 2 James Bond pack appears on eBay or one of the groups, and they're usually quite reasonably priced. I'd love to get my hands on something like that and open it as if it was brand new. Um, same with the SCOM Commodore Amiga, um, sorry, the SCOM Amiga 1200, because obviously Commodore isn't in the name at that point. New old stock versions of that come up quite frequently, and it would be fantastic to unpack a A1200 as if it was brand new because I never had it at that experience. Dave? Not so much. I'm thinking uh, the, the idea is now appealing to me. I'm th not so much thinking about the idea of unwrapping it mm. the first time. I'm thinking about the idea of getting a micro that 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 isn't covered in someone else's DNA, um, because they they're, they're all grotty. And mm. if you if you can remember how grotty it was, even after it's cleaned, it's still not still not as as nice as it would have been if you'd been the only owner of it. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's where I got very fortunate with my Batman pack. It it clearly was used very little and then put back in storage. I got very lucky with that. So, yeah, I'm very happy to own that. It was like reopening one from brand new. It was amazing. To own either in 2022 would be fantastic. But as for Eric and his playing cards, well, of course, he's being bombarded, as, as, as you said, Neil, with messages of sympathy, but also advice on possible solutions. Perhaps the cards can be separated, or perhaps it is best to just minimize the damage, put them back in the box. And it still remains, I think, a very collectible item. But, you know, for us as collectors, whatever we choose to do with our collections and our collectibles, I personally don't think there's a wrong answer on this. It's your stuff. Do whatever makes you happy. Guys, have you ever been singing a song from your favourite opera and no. you got to the really high note and shattered all the glasses in your house? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure no. you've seen it in films. <laughs> I'm, you haven't seen it in films? I'm sure you've seen it in films and so on. And I did a bit of Googling and it turns out it's not, it, it's kind of not a myth. You've seen it in films, the high, everything shatters. If you get the frequency just right, and importantly, if you're loud enough, then it can be done. 
but it needs to be so loud that it's it's right at the limits of what a human voice can do and it needs to be a thin lead crystal glass i think it's been in mythbusters and that's caused by the resonant frequency and that's the frequency at which the glass vibrates most efficiently and the smashing of the glass happens when you get it to vibrate enough and I thought resonant frequency was one of these myths that's faintly best based in fact and, and in reality doesn't happen and I was wrong this week's story was submitted by Starcade 2084 and it's talking about a problem with old laptops and the problem started when a manufacturer reported a problem that happens when Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation plays on their laptops. Now, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation is a, um, it, it's quite a, it's quite a unique song. It's maybe her, in my mind, it's, it's her most favourite, the one that comes to mind. It's quite a kind of military-themed song. Um, and they thought originally it was related to the video, uh, but it then crashed laptops from their competitors as well. So they went to Microsoft, and Microsoft worked out that it was the hard drives in them and there was a particular sound in the song that did it. It caused the hard drive to platter to vibrate enough that the machine would crash. So to fix it, they added a custom audio filter to remove that frequency from playback. And this is where I was quite interested in the legacy of it. Um, Chen, who's the, the guy that wrote the blog, said the laptop manufacturer added a custom filter in the device audio system that could remove the resonant frequency during any audio playback. And directly quoting him, it says, and I'm sure they put a digital version of a do not remove sticker on that audio filter. Though I'm worried that in the many years since the workaround was added, nobody remembers why it's there. And that got me thinking. I wonder if our current computers and software are littered with legacy fixes that are no longer relevant. Uh, Neil, I don't imagine in, the, in your career of hitting computers with a shoe, <laughs> which if anyone's uh, not aware, that's what Neil did um, before he um, hacked <laughs> it all in and became a, a YouTuber. Um, he would hit computers with a shoe. I, I wonder if you were in your career doing that, did you deal with any resonant frequencies or more seriously, did you deal with any, any, any old legacy stuff like that? Oh yes, the, the hitting a computer with a shoe uh, appeared in a, a kind of corporate video we made once for uh, to, for internal use for a presentation. Uh, yeah, it fixed it though, it fixed it. I even had hair back then, that's how long ago it was. Percussive um, maintenance. Yeah, but yeah, hitting the high notes, I think I'm more likely to hit a brown note than a top note with my oh, singing, Dave, no. so I shouldn't worry about that. Um, but yeah, the, the, oh, oh, before I go on, Janet Jackson. Okay, Janet Jackson's music, it... it she always seems to have been there, but nothing seems to have stuck. I had to go and listen to that Rhythm Nation as you were talking to just remind myself what it was. Um, I really struggle to name Janet Jackson's songs. It's it's just hmm. inoffensive. It's just there, <laughs> Dave. Yeah, I, I I struggled to find a good pun for this. I had to go to the Super Bowl uh, slip that she had, but I, none of her lyrics are memorable. There's not a single. There's no. There's no Shimon. There's no um, <laughs> Billy Jean stuff. There's not, not. Michael Jackson came out with so many memorable lyrics, and and she didn't. And I, I'm not saying the music's bad, but there you go. The most memorable one I could come up with was the the, the best things of life in fr uh, are free with uh, it was with Luther Vandross, I think it was. Um, you know, okay. that's a pleasant enough song again, but yeah. 
There we go. Anyway, Janet, Jack- any Janet Jackson fans out there listening want to set us straight? Then uh, you know, go angry for it. comments, please. Yes, angry comments defending Janet Jackson, please. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. When it comes to legacy code, there must be all sorts of hardware fixes and and code out there these days which are just not relevant anymore in modern computers or code that's been removed so for example um code might still be in there to operate floppy disks or dare i say it cd drives yes i still have a dvd drive in my pc but i really can't remember the last time i used it um if i leave a dvd in there it reminds me that i have a dvd drive because it sounds like a jet engine every time i turn the pc on and it it spins up um you know code for dial-up modems might still be in there for the one or two people who still want to send a fax via their computer but generally on the whole i think operating systems are actually a lot better at removing this code when we're talking software um and when i say operating systems i I traditionally mean microsoft windows and it's very unmodular nature uh, which has got better since around server 2008 when they started trying to strip out the unneeded code and reduce attack vectors in doing that and, and making it more modular. I'm not saying Windows is Linux at its level of modularity. Calm down, please, Linux keyboard warriors. Don't don't attack me. It's, but, but Windows is certainly better than it was. Um, so there we go. We've upset Linux fans and we've upset Janet Jackson fans. If you're a fan of both Linux and Janet Jackson, you're going to be fuming right now. Um, <laughs> or the Amiga, because I started out having a go at the Or the Amiga, well. yeah, yeah. You can't upset but, um, a Amiga fan because we're too chilled. <laughs> <laughs> but for us guys, personally, I think actually it's a source of frustration when they remove this stuff because, you know, when we're trying to recover old five and a quarter inch floppy disks or test a 15-pin joystick, as we mentioned earlier, mm. that's not happening in Windows 10. That's been removed long ago. So you need to fire up that 386 in the corner or get your Linux live CD um, and add things to that or whatever. But it's not really a complaint. It's not really a complaint. It's a bit like owning a Tesla and moaning that there isn't a manual choke still in there. That's, it's not going to happen. You know, I understand. <laughs> and I agree with the, the, the reasoning behind it. It's not the only resonant frequency problem that exists within the IT world. There's a video linked in the article that talks about how latency increases in data centers if people shout. So yeah, there's, imagine- actually, there's actually a video of people shouting at walls of hard drives and as they measure it, the, you know, the read and write speed, isn't there? It's quite a funny video. I wonder if Janet Jackson performing Rhythm Nation live in a data center would have the double dunt effect. <laughs> Any thoughts, Chris? Well, I'm wondering now if instead of back in the days of MIRC and WinNuke, not that I was ever part of this, but instead of sending people packets to to crash their machine, should I have just been sending them music videos that hit the right resonant frequency <laughs> to crash their hard drive? Interesting alternative attack on people that were annoying me in chats. Resonant frequency is a thing. I think Mythbusters did a few episodes on it and how it could even bring down bridges uh, as an example, uh, which is quite cool. But um latency increasing if people are shouting is, is that even really noticeable um uh, that, that makes me wonder it, does that does that include latency on you say you're talking about hard drive speeds is it latency on the internet as well so what i'm thinking about is when my boys are shouting at me saying that the internet's slowed down and, and it's affecting their their multiplayer gaming are they in fact the problem it's because they're shouting that they're getting ping spikes i don't know i'm not quite sure how this works 
Do we know any other songs, Dave, that might have had the same effect? Or do we know what the frequency was so we could find other songs, you know? Because we have these retro expos that we go to filled with these old machines. And quite often there's a DJ playing at the end of the hall. So if he plays the wrong song, could he bring down the, every retro PC in the expo? The right song then. Uh, maybe we could get a myth going about the songs we hate hearing and stop it happening and do the world a favour. I know there was a DJ on the, uh, in, in Belfast for the other night. Any oh, songs in particular that you would like to be banned just because of the damage they cause? Oh, no. By the time I finished the wedding, the, the DJs had finished in town. There was a big event in Belfast with Disclosure and Eric Prince and all these DJs playing. But I didn't hear any of that. That didn't, that didn't bother me. What did make me laugh was the youth spilled out into the town at about midnight as I was getting back to the hotel. My God, it was like um, some kind of cosplaying for 90s raves where everything was a bit off. You know, they looked at pictures of 90s ravers and just sort of amped it up. Um, yeah, but that's, you know, I, I seem to remember when we were in the 90s, there was this whole 60s fashion thing came back mm -hmm. around again and everyone was, you know, looking like bad versions of the 60s. So that did make me chuckle. Um, but yeah, I love I love Chris's idea about uh, spreading this as a kind of virus. <laughs> if they'd known this back in the day, surely they would have put a version of Janet Jackson or some other songs with this frequency on Napster, and that would have just caused chaos. That would have killed Napster if people's laptops were suddenly imploding. That would have been the end of it. They used to do that with Napster. They used to. They, they, you, you, I'm told. I've never used it. Uh, I'm told that sometimes you would go to, to download whatever song was top of the hit parade. And, um, the hit parade. <laughs> um, and it would be a fake. It would be that the opening the opening line just repeated and repeated and repeated. I don't know if record companies did that or I don't know if it was people just looking for the clout by, by getting a file shared. I don't know, but there was lots That's of... That's true, yeah. Maybe... That would that, if they'd known about this resonant frequency, you could be listening to a song, you could be listening to whatever it was you downloaded. It would sound just perfect, but it would have this resonant frequency in there, and your computer would keep crashing. Wow! Yeah, or some you know use it for espionage or something like that. But um, a new version of uh, Rick Rolling. That's true. Well, yeah, what you said was true, actually, Dave. I, I do remember in the very early days of Napster, it was just brilliant. It was just brilliant. You could get any song you wanted. Uh, I had a decent connection at the time. I could get it really quickly. And then these things started to sneak in. The, the looping audio was definitely one. And that followed into torrents as well. You might download a torrent, especially when there was a big new album release. It would appear on BitTorrent. Everyone would download it, and it was just looping songs. Um, yeah, that was definitely a thing. I remember it well, uh, allegedly. So have a look at the, the link there. Have a read at the blog and have a look at the videos linked. It is quite interesting. Time now for our community question of the week. We will read out your answers from last week's question. And that question was, after the sad passing of Oliver Frey, we recalled some of his magazine covers that stood out to us. We asked, what are your favourite pieces of his work? Have any of those old Crash, Zap64 or Antics covers stuck in your mind since you were young? Were you a fan of his comic book work? Uh, if you can drop a link to the image, uh, that would be really helpful. So yeah, we, we asked you to link to any images you, you referenced. So if you head over to our subreddit, you can read along while we read these out and click on the links to see the images. So the first answer, we've got some quite long answers today. Um, so people have given these a lot of consideration. And the first one is from Ben Wawa. And he starts by saying, I'm going to cheat a bit this week and not include art by Oliver Frey. Do, do, do I just stop the <laughs> Let's give him a chance. Let's read on. Let's read on. Maybe he's going to come back to Oliver Free in it. 
Maybe, maybe. Okay, so he says, lately I've been on a retro kick. I've got myself a C64 Maxi, uh, Spectrum Ngo, that's the Spectrum Next clone, to satiate my retro needs. I really wanted a nice background wallpaper to show the fight between the Spectrum and the C64, and I couldn't find anything online that I liked, so I decided to ask a student of mine to make something for me. Uh, they say, I'm an English teacher in Thailand. Oh, we've got a listener in Thailand. That's nice. Mm. Being a fan of Oliver Frey's work, I asked her to use that as some inspiration and gave her a link to the website you guys mentioned on the show. She really liked the work and agreed to take on the commission. My original idea was to have two computers smashing together in an explosion, but she asked me to let her do things her own way. Obviously, wanting to let her have her own creativity, I let her do what she wanted, and this is what she came up with. I haven't clicked on this yet, so I'm going to click on it now. Ooh, that's interesting. Hmm. So um, they haven't gone for the obvious two computers smashing into each other. It's like a Jedi fight. It's almost like Darth Vader or, um, ooh, I don't know. Um, how would you describe these characters? They're almost a Mortal Kombat feel to one of them with a mask on there. Um, or a, um, uh, not Blade Runner, what was the Highlander, a Highlander mm. feel uh, with lightsabers. But they've got accented belts um, and you know things about their person that show the ZX Spectrum rainbow and the Commodore 64 colors. Uh, definite inspir Oliver Frey feeling inspiration behind that picture, I think. What do you guys think? Well, I'll, I'm going to forgive um, Ben Wawa because he, he has brought it back to Oliver Free. But I noted that the, the colours they've chosen for the two fighters is, is quite appropriate. The the C64 fighter and the, the Spectrum fighter, the Spectrum fighter is, is, is grey, kind of like a grey Spectrum plus two. And the, the C64 is brown, like <laughs> the entire C64 palette. <laughs> there you go. Add that to the list of people you're offending this week, Dave. Uh, C64 owners. What a few but yeah, them. definite, definite Oliver Frey inspiration behind that. He goes on to say, I think it's a great picture, and I like the way she's drawn inspiration from Oliver Frey and Star Wars. It's easily one of the best 25... Is that how you've spent £25? Give, give her a tip, surely. Mm. It's easily the best £25 I've ever spent. I shared it on a couple of Spectrum Facebook pages and it caused a bit of a stir. As well, I saw the Sith as the Spectrum. Most of them saw the Jedi as the Spectrum. Oh, no, he's upsetting people over on Facebook. Although we know how easy it is to upset people on Facebook. That's anyway, the of Facebook. <laughs> anyway <laughs> I wanted to share it with all of you because I think it's, a, it's nice to know um, that while Oliver Frey has passed, his work will continue to inspire younger artists in what they do. That's brilliant. That's, That's nice. probably one of my favorite answers from all the questions of the week we've had over the hmm. over the course of the show. That's fantastic. Um, who's reading the next answer? I will. Okay. That's all right with you, Chris. That's fine with me, Dave. <laughs> uh, Paul, also known as Hermsky, says there are two covers for Lemmings, one for Crash and another for Sega Force. So uh, just a, a quick recap of what we said last week. Quite often, Oliver Frey's artwork for these magazines would be about a game but it wouldn't be the game artwork it would be his interpretation of it and as i think it was neil quite rightly said last week it was quite often better than the original game artwork um both were quite uh, both were amazing and bold pushing the boundaries of what could be displayed on the shelf no other magazines dared to be so bold the crash cover you could see the fear in the lemmings eyes as he noticed what lies ahead with the blood spatter at the bottom of the ravine and um, I'm going to click on it now. And uh, thankfully, um, Chris Wilkins from Fusion Retro has kindly given us 
uh, permission to put these these images on. So I'm sure Duncan can put it on there. And yeah, it's a close up of most of a lemming's face. Um, he looks absolutely petrified. That's very clever. He looks haunted. That is the yes. most haunted lemming I've ever seen. I, he's seen things. Uh, yeah. Um, the other favourite of mine. Sorry. <laughs> I've just said it. Disturbing. <laughs> yeah. But that, that the, the whole the, the, all the point of Oliver Freeze was that he went a bit beyond the normal yeah. kind of well, yeah, it, it, stuff. It, it evokes an emotional reaction, doesn't yeah. it? Which mm-hmm. is fantastic art. Yeah. The other favourite of mine was the Zap leaderboard cover. They were commissioned to run a cover for US Gold, but another manager, another magazine, called them out as a fluffy lollipop magazine. Yeah, that's the the toxic oh, yeah. masculinity talk, of those days. We did talk about this cover but i didn't know the backstory behind it so that's mm. interesting to hear yeah ollie could not resist and hit back with his skills us gold loved it so this is the one that neil talked about where it is um a rather attractive blonde lady uh, suggestively licking a um an ice pole with uh, three presumably golfers in the background uh, three young also, lads three young yes, lads three who are also yeah. giving a suck to a, a suggested <laughs> looking pole um and reflected in her enormous sunglasses is a golfer uh, hitting a uh, hitting a, a shot with his club in the air and the flag in the distance so that giving it the context that we didn't know about mm. uh, as a dimension to it so that's that's him obviously saying well we can be edgy if we want um if you want to see more examples, I put this together the other day, and what he's what Paul has linked is uh, a video from himself. Paul does make videos, and he's linked a sixty-minute video uh, celebrating his iconic fantasy artwork for magazines like Crash, Zap, and Antics. I didn't actually know that Paul had a YouTube channel. I'm sorry, Paul. I've just subscribed to you, and his YouTube channel is called Back to Eight Bit with Hermski. So uh, perhaps Duncan can put a link in the show notes. He has. 407 subscribers. Come on, gang. Let's let's see Paul get up to 500 subscribers. Let's go and give him a big This Week in Retro uh, hug uh, and get those subs up. And yeah, he's put um, a 15-minute video out there where he's talking about his favorite covers and showing lots of nice examples of them. So well worth a look. I am. Um, I'm not going to subscribe to him because I'm already subscribed because uh. I don't live in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I've just subscribed uh, Chris. Well. <laughs> Great. So there you go. Three more, uh, two more subs. Uh, Chris, do you want to read out the, we've got the third answer is from Ted, who may well be the same Ted who came to visit the cave uh, oh. the other week. So thank you for coming to visit. Nice. Good to see you on the subreddit. Ted Pandemonium. Nice. Cool. So they say. Maybe someone completely different, it but could it may be, be the same Ted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but their response says, I always enjoyed the Christmas specials cover art. A nice break from the more movie poster style of other monthly covers. It was a double issue, which meant I had it, it had to last longer. I would read them over and over uh, to keep warm that uh, keep that warm Xmas glow going. Of course, the competitions were a huge array of wondrous shiny prizes. Were also very attractive, and they basically linked to four different covers. So I'll just have a quick look at those. Christmas special, which is this from number forty-eight, January nineteen eighty-eight, uh, which is some Pac-Man running up and down a champagne bottle. Uh, we got Crash. Crash Christmas special. Can't see a date on that one because the contrast is terrible. No reflection We've on got Oliver Santa Frey. giving out 
Santa <laughs> giving out parcels to aliens on one of them. There's one, yeah. I think it's the third link if you click on it. It's like a black and white image with an That's octopus the one I'm looking slowing at. up the, the turkey. Now, on the right-hand side, there's a guy pulling down his father Christmas beard on uh, elasticated beard. Who Who is that? Does anyone know who that face is? Looks familiar, but I don't know who that is. It's got to be someone famous from the year. Answers in the comments. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, a crash issue. I think that's number 36. I think that's what it says. As you say, the contrast is, it makes it hard to see. It's hard, um, isn't it? Yeah. It wouldn't pass accessibility standards. 36, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very nice black and white image. What are the other two? So we've got like a, uh, what's that? That's from number 24, 1985-86. Um, Santa holding something up to a sort of alien Grinch-like character. How I could best describe mm. that one with the um, UFO in the background. That's great. The, the Christmas edition of your favorite computer magazine was always really special because the magazines would always come out a month before for that month. Mm. So you'd get your Christmas one, you know, November, wouldn't you? So you wouldn't have quite finished school yet. And, um, you know, it would be, you'd be thinking ahead to Christmas. You'd be looking at the games you might want for Christmas. And there was all that excitement about oh, school ending, getting two weeks off or however much time you got off. And uh, that would be a well-thumbed uh, issue of your favorite computer magazine for sure. Um, mm. In the height of the Amiga format years, wow, there were some, there must have been four or 500 pages in some of their Christmas editions. They did have some huge magazines at Christmas time. Um, yeah, good value for money. So on to our community question of the week for this week. And I think it should probably be about um, our discussion on sealed games. Let's hear your thoughts. So um, do you own anything sealed? Uh, how do you feel about opening things that are sealed? Um, yeah, any specific questions we want to ask here? Is it just a general, should you open should, sealed games? Should sealed games be opened? Yeah. Should mm. sealed games or hardware, it can be anything, computers, games, hardware, should sealed retro, there we go, we found the question, ah. should sealed retro, um, I feel like James O'Brien at this point, I'm sort of thinking out loud, mm, What? that's the question, yes, how do you feel everyone, should sealed retro be opened, that's it, that's the question, nice, should sealed retro be opened, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro feel free to elaborate don't just give us a bunch of yes or no answers talk about your own experiences have you been tussling with the idea of opening something that you have that's sealed um have you opened something that's sealed did you find everything fused together like in the that box of cards um and if you did share your elation or disappointment with the experience we'd love to hear all about it maybe you've made a video like um Hermsky did and you'd like to include a link to your own video do let us know. As always, gentlemen, thank you for chatting today. Thank you for listening um, or watching if you're over on YouTube. Give us a sub if you're not already subbed to the show. Take care and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. He's waving. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, 
please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.